So Exodus chapter 28, you guys ready? I think I figured out exactly what I'm going to say. And uh, all it took was two services to get here. We're going to be summarizing a lot in chapter 28 and chapter 29. Remember last week, here's our context. God says, I want a place just for my presence to dwell among my people. As you're traveling into this promised land that I'm going to give you, just like I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I want my presence to be leading you. I want to be with you as you go. So build this tent of meeting, and this tent is to have certain furnishings that all point us toward Jesus. Well, now it's time for the people who are serving in the tent. Uh, so we're going to be talking about the Aaronic priesthood and the priestly garments uh, that Aaron and his sons are wearing uh, to, so that people will recognize them as God's priests, God's servants that are mediating between them and the people. Let's pray and we'll get started. Father, I love you. Thank you for every person here. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make an impact through your word on the lives of every man, the lives of every woman. Father, we need the, the, the weightiness of your spirit to speak to us through your word, that we might be your people in this world. Help us this morning. Jesus, may we see the fruits of studying your Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse as we grow in your, in your understanding, uh, in the, the understanding of your gospel, your good news to us. It is in Jesus' name. And every Christian said, Amen. Amen. Chapter 28. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel. To serve me as priests. So we've got all these contributions being gathered to build the tent of meeting and the temple fur furnishings, the bronze altar in the courtyard, the bronze basin in the courtyard, moving into the actual tent. Two rooms in the tent, the holy place and the holy of holies in the back behind the veil where the Ark of the Covenant is. God needs people serving in mediatorial roles between the people and himself uh, in these areas. So he says, Aaron and his sons, bring them to me. They're going to serve me as priests. Now, here's what you need to understand already about the Aaronic priesthood. Right? Don't just think Levites generally. Both Moses and Aaron were Levites from the Levite tribe. And yes, the Levitical tribe, the, 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 the tribe that comes from the son of Jacob called Levi, they are pulled into uh, priestly roles, but not every Levite is a priest. Right? In fact, when you study Zechariah uh, in the New Testament, who was John the Baptist's father, you realize that, yeah, he was a Levi and that. Yeah, there was a priest, but it was a lottery system. And, and there were some priests that never even got to make it into the, the, the holy place. Uh, and of course, only the high priest could go into the holy of holies. And, and they had to come from the line of Aaron himself. This was a hereditary line of people. Now, some of you say, that's probably a better system anyway. Nobody can get in there and nobody can uh, look for power or spiritual authority to, to hold it over people or lord it over people. It keeps everything really succinct and it keeps everything in line. Well, uh, it, 
it's okay for you to think that, but it's really not true because let's talk about Aaron's sons here uh, at the end of verse 1. Bring to me Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, four of them are mentioned here. Nadab and Abihu. Now, underline them really quick. But then also there's Eleazar uh, and Ithamar. Now, here's something we know about Nadab and Abihu. And let's, just, let's just talk about Aaron for a second. Next week, put your, bring your seatbelts with you from your cars into church. Because we get to talk about Aaron and one of the biggest blunders. This guy is getting special clothes and consecrated. Aaron is the high priest of Israel and he makes one of the dumbest decisions he'll ever make next week when we get further into Exodus. It's that little thing with the golden cow, if you remember. It's kind of a big problem. Well, his sons, Nadab and Abihu, aren't much better. In fact, when we get over to Leviticus chapter 10, in the first three verses, you can read about an incredible blunder uh, that they do when they go into the holy place. They're supposed to take a special fire from the altar of incense, right? There's only, we talked uh, briefly last week, there's only one way for a perfumer to put together a special oil to, to light the altar of incense. And it was fire from that altar that had to be put in their censers for them to do their priestly work. Well, they took fire from somewhere else. The Bible calls it strange fire. And for all you pot smokers, no, it wasn't cannabis. Good Lord. <laughs> Like a cannabis lover's dream. Everything that's not specifically laid out is weed. <laughs> it's just not true. <laughs> there were words in Hebrew for hemp, actually. It's not words used for any of the ingredients that are part of this. But they did take a strange fire. It was not the special blend of spices that God said, use this because it's holy and I've set it apart. It's its only use for the altar of incense. They took fire from a different source and God struck these guys, Nadab and Abihu, struck them dead in Leviticus chapter 10. So while the Aaronic priesthood was hereditary, you had to be a son in the line to, to be accepted into this subset of the Levitical priestly tribe, uh, that didn't always mean the priests were good, which just continues to put. And it wasn't just Aaron's sons. We can get into Eli and his sons. And throughout the Old Testament, the priests are sinners just like everybody else. It's all pointing us. Remember, we read Hebrews chapter 9 last week. It's all pointing. This is copies, shadows, foretastes of the truly perfect one that was to come, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, who did live the perfect life in human flesh that none of us have, which is why he could be the better sacrifice, dying in our place for our sin, freeing us from sin, death, hell, and the grave. Ready? Let's go. Verse 2. And you shall make, now watch this, holy Garments Now underline holy for Aaron, your brother, because again, the, the high priest, Aaron, was the only one who really had an even more special get up here. All the priests got special clothing. So they all got the, uh, the linen coats of checker work and, and some of those things. But uh, the high priest, Aaron, got especially significant clothes representing holiness, representing for glory, underlying glory, the glory of God, and 
for beauty. Three things the clothes of the high priest represent. Three characteristics of God, Yahweh, that the clothes of the high priest represent. His holiness, his glory, and his beauty. Now let's talk about holiness for a moment. What, let me just ask you a question. What separates us from the animal kingdom, all the phylums and the kingdoms of the, the animal and plant world? Right? Well, number one, we wear clothes. <laughs> right? I don't know if you know this or not, but fur is not clothes. And all animals are running around naked. But we are different. God's people are different. Everyone who bears the thumbprint of God, which is every person in the human race, doesn't matter who you are or where you come from, uh, if you are a homo sapien, if you are part of the human race, you bear the thumbprint, the creative thumbprint of God upon you. Uh, you have, as a male or female, intrinsic value, dignity and worth as an image bearer of God. It's what separates us from the animal kingdom. We cover, we, we take this dignity that we've been given uh, as created in God's image seriously. So we clothe ourselves. We started clothing ourselves after our first parents sinned. And what did sin bring into the world? Shame. And guilt. Did you know in the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame? That's kind of the point of the creation story. Sin hadn't entered. There was no shame. There was no guilt. But when sin came, it ruined everything. And God came and killed an animal and covered Adam and Eve with the skins of that animal. Oh, and since then, we have covered ourselves, separating us from uh, the rest of creation. Again, to display the glory of being an image bearer of God. But one day, who knows what heaven is going to be like, amen? It's probably going to be awesome. Okay, now, holy so we wear clothes as human beings, but here's the reality. Everybody in Israel was wearing clothes, but the priestly garments were to be holy garments. They were to look differently from all the other clothes that everybody else was wearing. Uh, when people walked into the courtyard, they should immediately be able to identify those serving as the mediators between God and man. The priests had to be easily identified as the ones who take uh, God, uh, Yahweh's hand and take mankind's hand and bring them together into relationship, which is what the mediator role of the priesthood does. So they needed to be easily identified. That's what the word holy means, set Apart. So not only was Israel as a nation set apart from the other nations, but their priests were set apart for them. So when God's people came into the courtyard, they were easily identified. God says, and I hope you remember all the Ten Commandments stuff and all that we've been walking through. There's a way God wants us to live. Strong families build strong nations. God's ways are the best ways for human flourishing and blessing. Our ways are terrible. We keep making things worse and worse and worse and worse. God's way is the answer. So Israel was supposed to be set apart holy unto the Lord following his ways unlike all the other pagan nations. And then the priests were one more set uh, apart through their clothing. 
God says, I am holy, so you be holy. And then there's the glory. These clothes came with uh, kavod is the Hebrew word. Weightiness, heaviness that could be experienced by the people. And in fact, they had experience. They heard God speak from Mount Sinai. They, they followed, they saw the Red Sea split. They followed the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. They had been in situations where the weightiness of God was felt with well, these garments the priests wore to, were to reflect the weightiness and the glory of God. They were special clothes. And then the third word used is just the word beauty. We're going to see in the high priestly garments all the precious stones and diadems and, and onyx. I mean, just beautiful gold. This thing was full. Gold thread weaved in the, uh, uh, into, into some of the clothing. Uh, all the stones set in pure gold. Gold plates on the, the turban. Just this, these garments were awe-inspiring to God. When they walked into the courtyard and they saw these priests, they knew they were there for a specific, there was the weightiness of God there. They're serving as our mediators. There was a holy, they are, they're clearly set apart by their clothing and the beauty of these garments. Nobody's wearing anything like this. These are the most expensive garments 3,500 years ago that anybody had, which I don't know if you know this or not, but throughout uh, the, the, the movement of the West, where we have built cathedrals and monuments in the name of God all over uh, many countries. Some are thousands of years old. And when you walk into, by the way, there's no thousands. If you're engaged and you look at your soon-to-be spouse and they say to you, I want to get married in the continental U.S. in a thousand-year-old church. Just know, they don't want to marry you that bad because there is no such thing. But we do have churches that are a couple hundred years old. When you go to big cities like New York, places like this, there's these old churches. They built these churches. Did you know stained glass? You know where stained glass comes from? It's beautiful and it's awe-inspiring, but nobody could read back then. So stained glass came to teach the people as they came into the churches uh, what the, the, the main Bible stories, uh, what, what they were. That's why you've got John the Baptist baptizing Jesus, right? All these, all these huge epic stories that come from, it was to teach the people who couldn't read. But these churches were built with uh, incredible edifice, the beauty because they wanted the worshipers to be inspired in awe of God. And, and there's something to be said for that still today. So that's what these clothes the high priest was going to wear and other priests in lesser garments were wearing, representing the holiness of God, the beauty of God, and the glory of God. Verse 3 you shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill, that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. Now notice what he says here. He doesn't say, get all the finger painting kits you have and get all the kindergartners together who don't have anything better to do. No, he says, get those that I have given 
skill. We're going to re-weld. I'm going to summarize in a moment how they're taking fine linen threads and turning them into pomegranates that hang off of the blue robe of the, the high priest. I mean, the skill was needed to create, I mean, pounding gold into threads thin enough that could be woven with all the other blue, scarlet, and purple linen threads. Skilled workers were needed. And God always gives skill to his people when they need it to do the work that he's called them to. Every person in here, doesn't matter who you are or where you are from. There's a, a parable in scripture Jesus tells in the New Testament about passing out talents. Everybody gets something. Now, some of us choose to bury that talent and not use it for the glory of the God. But every man and every woman in this room, God has given you some ability. Brent, you just don't know me. The only skill I have, I can play a gazoo sometimes. Right? We're all our worst critics, aren't we? But there is something. Brent, how do I know? What has God put in front of you right now? You know, in the Old Testament, God says, uh, uh, put out your hands to whatever is in front of you that you find and get your hands on that plow and get to work. Sometimes it's staring us in the face. Everything God calls us to can be used for his glory and his purposes. Everything. There's a Christian classic you'll find in any Christian bookstore. It's usually on like the $2.99 Christian classic uh, little shelves. It's by a guy named Brother Lawrence. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. This guy was a monk who relished and delighted in the cleaning the toilets of the monastery because he was doing it unto the Lord. Now, nobody in here is jumping up and down for that job. But if you find yourself doing that job, do it to the glory of God. Everything we do can be done to the glory of God. I was reminded in second service, something I, that we did in some leadership training a long time ago in a, in a dead dog. We don't take ourselves seriously here. That's why we're called dead dogs. But we take the gospel very seriously, amen? So that's kind of it's kind of our deal here. But there, there was a construction company and there were had been commissioned to build a church. And so they had all these masons coming out. They, they wanted the front of the church to be brick. And so these masons are all out there and they're, they're starting to stack brick and, and do their mason work. And the foreman comes up to the first guy sitting there and he says, he says, hey, how's things going, you know, how's it going? And the guy just looks up out in the first mason. He just looks up at him and says, ah, oh, you know, just another day, another dollar, laying brick. Foreman moves over to the second person. His response completely different from the first. It shows you the, the point being made here. Hey, how's everything going? You, you got everything you need? Every, everything fine? The second guy looks up because he knows he's, he's laying brick. That is a church where God's people will gather and lift up his name and lift up his glory. And, and so he looks up at the foreman. He's got tears coming down his eyes. I am laying bricks. It's going to be a church where people gather and lift up Jesus. Right? 
Whatever it is your hands have found to do, do it to the glory of God. There is value in you to be used for his purposes on planet Earth. It's why you're here in this room this morning. Find the people who can get this job done and put them to work. Verse 4. And these are the garments they shall make. A breast piece. An ephod. Now I've been saying the word ephod for 25 years. Okay? I just recently read in a commentary. And Isaac, you, you probably already know this. But they, they, they laid it out the way you're supposed to pronounce it. And the correct pronunciation according to this commentary in a, in a way is... A-fold. A-Y-F-O-D-E. A-fold. I just wanted you to know the correct way to pronounce it. I'll probably never pronounce it that way. 25 years is hard to change a pattern. Just wanted you to know I got it wrong. A-fold. A robe. A coat of checker work. A turban and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. The same contributions being made to create the tent of meaning, or the same contributions being made to create these garments worn by Aaron and his sons. Now, to help us move through chapter 28, I want you to look at the screen, because here is... These things just mentioned, along with some others, the, the, the golden plates not mentioned until uh, we get over to verse 36. The, the linen undergarments aren't mentioned uh, until verse 42. So there's some other things we're going to talk about. But this is the garments mentioned to create for Aaron, the high priest, in chapter 28. Let's kind of walk through. Notice first and foremost... There is a white garment in uh, verse 4. This is the coat of checker work. It's white linen checker work together to create a coat that goes underneath all the other things the high priest would wear. Now, look at verse 42 in your Bible in chapter 28 really quick. Because some of you thought boxer briefs were a new invention. They are not. Linen undergarments, look at verse 42, you shall make them, uh, for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs. That's what they were. They were linen boxers. And they were white as well. And then there's the cap that is also white except for that plate of gold. We'll talk about that in a second. So the first thing the priest puts on is the linen undergarments, and, and we didn't talk about this last week, but the altar, all the stuff out in the courtyard was created without steps, right? Because this is basically a dress, right? Uh, but God has built everything in a way where no priest representing him and mediating between he and the people will ever be embarrassed. There's, there's no slip-ups. Somebody's got a camera at the right time. Because that never happens today, right? <laughs> no. They're perfectly, that undergarment perfectly covers the nakedness of the priest. Then they've got the white linen coat over it. Then they've got the white uh, turban hat. 
All these things are white. All the undergarments, all the things that are the first to cover the body are white, representing purity and cleanness. We're going to talk about bells on one of these garments in a second. But it is an absolute legend. You've probably heard the legend that these bells on the garment of the high priest, they would tie a rope around his ankle. And every year at Yom Kippur, he would go into the, the Holy of Holies, the holiest place of the temple behind the veil to sprinkle the blood on the ark. And if he did something wrong and those bells stopped, they knew he had dropped dead. So they would take that rope around his ankle and they would pull the dead high priest out of the Holy of Holies. Leviticus chapter 16 is very clear. That's not the purpose of the bells and none of this other stuff. The high priest even wears at Yom Kippur. He takes everything off. He's ceremonial, ceremonially washed, and then he puts on the linen undergarment. He puts on the linen coat, just the white clothes, and the linen turban. None of the other uh, garments he wears, he takes into the Holy of Holies. He doesn't have the bells on in the Holy of Holies because that the white linens represent purity and cleanness to come into the very presence of God. You must be pure. So these are the first garments the high priest wears. Now let's look, coming up from the bottom, let's look up at, there's this, there's this blue robe that's put on over the white linen checkerwork coat. Uh, it's called the robe. It's, it's completely blue. And again, what does blue represent? Blue represents the heavens and the creative majesty of God who's not just part of creation. No, he's outside, uh, existing, self-sustaining, outside of his creation that he has brought together. Right? This is to celebrate the majesty of Yahweh, creator God. That's what blue represents. This robe is to be all blue that covers the white linen checkerboard. And on the bottom, notice the hem. The only thing unique about this robe, other than the color blue is it's him. Around the hem, they have a solid gold bell. And then next to the bell, they would take uh, the, the scarlet blue linen uh, linens and they would create the shape of a pomegranate. So you'd have a bell and then a pomegranate hanging off the hem, then another bell, then a pomegranate, then another, all the way around the hem of this blue robe. And of course, the significance is clear Let's start with the bells, because again, God's people didn't get to come into the tent of meeting. Not the holy place or the most holy place. Only the priests could go in there. So when they came into the courtyard, the garments of the priests identified them. But if there was a large crowd, the bells were used to signify audibly where the people should look to see the work of the priest enacting on their behalf. The bells are there to get people's attention. And every one of you in this room this morning in Christ, you're wearing bells whether you realize it or not. We are all called to proclaim the gospel to gather people's attention through their ears I, you've heard me say this before I haven't said it in seven or eight years but I hate that Francis of Assisi quote that so many people use we're called to proclaim the gospel everywhere and sometimes use words you can't understand the gospel without words the gospel is an event that happened in history. 
It's not telepathic. You're not going to figure it out on your own. You're not going to sit under a tree and say, hey, I wonder if God became flesh and dwelt among us and then died in our place. Right? You're not going to come up to that on your own. That's an act that happened in history to know history. You have to be told. The bells were an auditory reality as people came into the courtyard to look, to see where this action, this sacrifice was taking place on their behalf. Then, of course, in between each bell was the pomegranate, which is a symbol of the rich bounty of the promised land that God was bringing his people into. Did you know that when the spies went into the promised land, a land that flows with milk and honey, God says, it took two people to carry one cluster of grapes out of the promised land to show everybody that was back in the camp. Truly, God's blessings are great. Truly, his inheritance does flow with milk and honey that he gives to his people. This is all represented through the hem of the blue robe of the high priest. Now, moving up from the blue robe, you see another. Here's our aphode. I wish you guys would laugh a little bit at that because I just feel weird saying it. Aphode. Ephod. Yeah. <laughs> Notice this is different looking than the blue robe. It's different looking than the linen checker coat underneath. All the scarlet threads, the, the, the purple threads, the royalty of God, the highness and majesty represented in the purple. Uh, the gold threads are there, the scarlet threads representing when we sin, something's got to die to remind us of the sacrifice that needs to be made to, to cleanse us. All these threads are woven into this aphode. And again, remember, the people couldn't go into the tent. So God represents the inside of the tent of meeting in the garments of the high priest who are working out at the bronze altar in the courtyard and at the bronze basin where they wash before they enter. The inside of the tent of meeting where God's presence dwells is represented to the people through the garments of the high priest and other priests themselves. No. Notice the, the sash is made in the same way that, that holds and ties the, uh, the ephod tight to the waist of the high priest. But notice as you move up, there is a breastplate, a breastpiece of judgment as it's called in Exodus chapter 28. Notice there are 12 stones, four rows of three stones each, precious stones. You can find uh, each of the stones uh, in Chapter 28, beginning around verse 15 and on down. Burl, onyx, jacinth, diamond, emerald, sapphire. This is expensive garments. Only the high priest had this breast piece of judgment with the 12 stones. Each of those stones set in gold, highly polished, set in gold. And the name of one of the tribes of Israel carved into it by a skilled jeweler who did that kind of work. Now, holding the breast piece of judgment by two solid gold chains, there are two shoulder pieces that are made of onyx stone, also polished. And the 12 tribe, the names of the 12 tribes are also on these stones on the shoulders of the high priest. Six on one stone, six on the other, in the birth order of the 12 sons of Jacob, who became the 12 tribes. 
What is, what is being communicated here? The entire weight of the nation of Israel, all 12 tribes, rests on the shoulders of the high priest. He carries the burden for all 12 tribes, the entire nation, in the same way that Jesus carried the weight of the entire world. You know, the scripture teaches us that for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Every person whom God brings to himself, their names were written on uh, the, the clothing of Jesus. The revelation says they were, our names are written on his hand. All that God has chosen and brought to his family, Jesus bore the weight as our high priest of all of them on his shoulders. That's why on the cross when he says it is finished, it is finished. Sinners become saints through the blood of our high priest who carries all the weight for all of us. But now what about the, the breast piece? Two on the shoulders, but all 12 tribes also found on the breast piece. Each tribe getting its own stone. What does the breast piece cover? The heart of the priest. Right? On the heart of the priest, each individual tribe is remembered and is loved. That tribe is part covering the heart of the high priest. In this same way, Jesus fulfills. Right? He knows you matter. Right? Here, what, what, is, what does all this mean? It means you matter. God died for his people, bearing all the weight, but each individual tribe mentioned by name as our names are mentioned in the Lamb's book of life. You matter to God. Every person here found in Christ Jesus, you matter. He knows your name. A gold plate on the head inscribed, hammered pure gold, tied with blue cord around the linen turban. Holy unto God, it was inscribed. The high priest, everybody should know, holy unto God. That's why he was the only one who could go into the holiest of places. Jesus Christ, our better more perfect high priests, fulfilling this holy unto God. We'll talk about that in a moment, but four things. I got 13 minutes. Here's how I want to wrap this up. Because I almost went to Hebrews and just walked through the entire book. Did you know 15 different times in Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus is our perfect high priest? Right, all this stuff happening here, all this symbolism, all this notice that the high priest of the Old Testament, it was all copies, foreshadows of the perfect high priest to come. That's why when we taught, we walked through the book of Hebrews together a couple years ago, right? Jesus is a better tabernacle. He's a better sacrifice. He's a better high priest. We called the series, Jesus is Better, because he was the fulfillment of these shadows and these copies but more than that, there were four primary roles, Leviticus tells us, of these high priests and, and how they mediated between God and the people. 
The first one we've already talked about last week, but I'll mention it briefly here. One of the roles of the priest, the Aaronic priesthood, was to, through the sacrifices, atone for the sins of the people. We find in Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, it's sin offering, blood offering, sin offering, blood offering. The whole first part of the book is all the offerings. Jesus perfectly fulfills this role. Look in Hebrews chapter 10 with me quickly. And I'm not going to read all of it, just I want to read verses 11 through 14. And actually, because I did it last, last uh, let me read verse 4 too. Because this is awesome. And hang your hat on it. The writer of Hebrews wants the people to understand something. High priests kept doing these sacrifices over and over and over again. Don't you think if those sacrifices had any validity, they would have stopped doing the sacrifice? Why do they have to keep doing the sacrifices? It's because they don't work. They simply point to the sacrifice that's going to work. That's why verse 4 is so important in chapter 10. It says this. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now look at verse 11 through 14. And remember, every time the high priest, every time the Aaronic priesthood had to do these sacrifices, they had to go back, gather themselves together, and they had to come back for a different day, for a different festival, and they had to keep repeating them over and over and over. Because it was a... It was a copy. It wasn't the real thing. Verse 11, what happens when Jesus makes his final, his only sacrifice? Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins... Right, this is Tolkien language. One sacrifice to rule them all. Right? Jesus' blood is that pure, that perfect, that precious once it's spilt. It never has to be spilt again. Sin is covered, which is why next, after the sacrifice of Christ is made, he goes and sits down at the right hand of the Father, the place of honor, because his work is done once and for all, which is why you and I today, even though still plagued by sin in this world, the sin of others and our own sin. Romans 7 is clear. James is clear. We all stumble in many ways. The Bible is right to call us sinners. The Bible is right in 1 John to say, if you claim you have no sin, you're a liar. We are sinners, but Christ is seated. His blood has been applied and our sins are covered, atoned for, paid in full, which is why at the same time being sinners, we can also be called saints by God himself. This is who we are. When we get to 1 Corinthians, the beginning of next year, you just wait. These are kind of the worst people ever. But God speaks to them as his church. God calls them saints. How can he do that? Because they are covered by the blood that is efficacious to deliver us from the effects of sin. 
Sinners become saints through the priestly work of Jesus Christ. How else do these priests mediate in Leviticus? The second way they mediate is through teaching God's commands. They were the teachers. Now there were also uh, people uh, of legal uh, provenance. There, 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 were, there were other people. who did. But the main, the main role of teaching in Leviticus is the priests were to teach the commands of God to the people. How does Jesus fulfill this? Jesus comes teaching God's word. He teaches in Nazareth, his hometown. He teaches all over Galilee. He even goes into places no proper Jewish man would go. He goes into Samaria, teaches the Samaritans God's word. Uh, he comes to Jerusalem, as all good Jewish men did, for the, the festivals and, the, and the, uh, the sacrifices of the temple. He taught there. He taught on mountains. He taught from boats, from uh, the, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he taught at the Jordan River. Everywhere Jesus when he was declaring the righteous oracles of God, which are now given to us. Because what did he tell his disciples at the end of Matthew chapter 28? Right? What, what do we know from Hebrews chapter 1? God used to speak in a lot of different ways. He used to speak through prophets. He used to, there was dreams, there was visions, there was all kinds of things. Urim and Thummim, which I didn't get to in this sermon. Sorry, I just skipped it, but we're not going back. He used to speak in a lot of different ways. But now he only speaks through his son. And what did his son tell the disciples? Can I just ask you a question? Because I know some of you are thinking this. And as we walk through the Ten Commandments, as we're talking about families honoring God, doing things God's ways, better families build better nations, right? Some of you are thinking, ah, Brent, but what, what difference can, the world's on fire. What difference can a group of people in Ackworth, Georgia really make? Let me remind you, it only took 12 guys in the first century that had no clout, that had no money, that had no social or political import at all. They were, they were blue-collar fishermen, most of them. 12 people following the commands of Jesus preserved for us in the 27 books of the New Testament. These are the words of Christ spoken to them in which they in turn taught the rest of us. Which is why in the Great Commission Jesus says, go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And look at how verse 20 ends it up. Teaching them all things that I have commanded we're still 2,000 years later about the father's business this morning being taught from the very words in which Jesus spoke through his disciples Jesus fulfills the role of teacher by giving us everything everything we need if you ever go to that spooky kooky church and somebody says Oh, you're called overseas. and They're just speaking all kinds of things in the name of God. God has given us everything we need to know him, to experience salvation, and to please him in this world. We've got it all right here. 
So if somebody ever says something to you and it encourages you and you, it encourages you and you can find it also in Scripture, praise God. If somebody says something to you and it distracts you and it freaks you out and it worries you and you can't find it in Scripture, take it and throw it away. It's worthless. It's the beauty of Scripture that guides. The Holy Spirit doesn't contradict himself. People do, though, so you got to watch out. <laughs> Jesus fulfills the mediatorial, right? The very commands of God now belong to us through the words and teachings of Christ, the better high priest. Third way, Jesus fulfills the role of the priest. He purifies the house of God. We got this awesome story in John chapter two. Uh, our ladies and kids are actually uh, studying it right now in different environments here in the church. But what does Jesus do when he comes from Galilee? He comes into Jerusalem. Uh, it's time uh, to celebrate uh, a feast with all the other uh, Jewish people. And what does he see when he comes to the temple? Have you ever been to a, a conference here in Atlanta somewhere in one of these big arenas? Right? You're, you're there because you're there to, to learn something or uh, you're there because you want to be, but there's, there's vendors everywhere. And the vendors aren't there to learn anything. The vendors are there for one reason, to take whatever money is in your pocket and put it in theirs. Jesus gets to this holy feast and he's expecting the house of God to be filled with worshipers. And those praying and seeking the Lord. And what does he see instead? Money changers and people selling animals. And it looked like there was nothing wrong with, with selling animals. But it was the motivations of the people there doing these things. Their heart, there was no weightiness of God in the temple courts. There was none of the, the set apart holiness and beauty that was to be there. The motivations of the people were all wrong. And what does the high priest do? The high priest purifies the house. Which is why Jesus makes a whip and runs the money changers out and reminds them, my house shall be a house of prayer. And all the disciples, oh, and they remember the prophecies about the Messiah, that zeal for his father's house would consume him. And lastly, and here's where I really want to, I want you to focus. And we didn't get into chapter 29, the consecration of Aaron and his sons as, as the high priest. This wasn't an annual festival that happened all the time. It was, uh, it's found in Leviticus chapter 8 and, and Exodus chapter 29. But, but one of the things they did is the, is the pouring of oil onto the head of Aaron. And the oil would run down his head and it would run through his beard and, uh, and down his body. And, and, of course, that oil represents the work of the Holy Spirit consecrated. Aaron and his sons to the work of the priesthood. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Because here's what I want to leave you with. And we'll only read verses 9 and 10. How does Jesus fulfill this final thing that the priesthood is responsible for in Leviticus, it's you. Ladies, you don't have beards, but feel the symbolic power 
of what Jesus has done. Because it is Jesus who anoints our heads now for his work. It is that's why Jesus in the end of John, he breathes on his disciples and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what that oil symbolizes. It's, it's why Pentecost is even a thing. The prophecies from Joel chapter 2 fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Jesus said, I've got a mission for you, but wait until the helper comes. He will empower you to be my witnesses. It's the oil of God, the power of his spirit through Christ that's now running down our heads and through our beards and down our bodies making us his holy people to do his holy work in this world. We have a responsibility, and it's a responsibility given to us by Christ. Praise God for salvation, but salvation is a gift to move us into his workmanship. Ephesians 2, I hope you remember it. In verses 4 and 5, which I'm not going to read, of 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus is the stone, the main stone, the cornerstone upon which God is building the entire house. But you and I, we are likened to living stones being built on that cornerstone. You and I today through the work of Christ are part of this spiritual building that God is building in this world right now. Don't. Tell me we can't take the city with the gospel. Don't tell me we're not enough. The gospel is enough. The power is in him. If we'll just, if we'll just like John the Baptist, put ourselves low and make much of Jesus, we'll see his work more fully in our lives. Because we are living stones in his house. By the work of Jesus Christ our high price. Let's read 9 and 10. You are a chosen race. I love that word chosen. Some people don't like the word chosen. I love it. It means I'm not here because I've deceived myself or tricked myself or think I'm better than what I really am through the decisions that I make. No, I'm here because God wanted me here. You're here because God wanted you here. He chooses us. We don't choose him. He first loved us. That's why we love him so much. You're here because God wanted you here. That's what the word chosen means. Well, Brent, you don't understand. I'm from Sweden. I'm sorry. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you're from. Even people from New Zealand can get in on this thing. All right? Whatever country you're from, whatever language you speak, whatever color your skin is, doesn't matter. God in Christ Jesus has made us a chosen race together. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Our high priest has brought us into the priesthood of his ministry. There's bells on us ringing for people to look so we can communicate 
The sacrifice has been made. Sinners are now saints. And skill has been given for us to put our hand to the plow and work in his name and for his kingdom. Chosen race, royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. If you're ever worried by the jealousy of God, when God says he's jealous, don't be. He paid the price. He paid our debt in We are his prized possession in Christ Jesus, and he will not share us with anything less. It's why sometimes reading the Bible is painful as God exposes your idols and chips away at them. He's not going to share you with anything less. And that process called sanctification is a beautiful, beautiful, wonderful thing. That he does for his special possession. That you may, why? What's the purpose of all this? Why would he be this good to us? Because we have a job to do. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Some of you in this room, you have the best testimony anybody could have. God saved you at a young age. I love hearing testimonies where I was six, I was seven. Uh, My parents, I was growing up in church. My parents introduced me to Jesus. I was baptized at three and a half years. I was baptized in my mother's womb. Look, don't hate on your testimony. It's wonderful, that testimony. But there are others in here who it was a long road around. You experienced a lot of darkness for Jesus brought you into that light. Well, it's, it's time to share that light with others. If you remember the darkness, you remember when the light broke through and changed everything for you. That golden lampstand was set on fire. Jesus, the light of the world, came in rushing in. We no longer in darkness. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Let the weight of that sit on you. It's who we are right now this morning. Brent, I got so much stuff I'm dealing with. I know we're all dealing with something. But right now, under the sound of my voice, gathered together right here, right now, we are a people. We are God's people. How do we know? Because we are in Christ Jesus, the only way to come to God, the only way for our needs to be mediated. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These are the garments of the high priest, the consecration of the Aaronic priesthood. And now Jesus is the better fulfillment of that priesthood and exactly what he's done for us. He has applied the blood. We are free from sin. He has cleansed the temple. We can come holy people in the sight of God to worship him correctly and make this a house of prayer. He has taught us all the words that come from his very mouth. We can know that we know that we know what we believe is true. 
And the oil now runs down our heads, consecrating us into the work that he has called us to be a part of. This is what Christ has done. Let's pray. Jesus, you are good. Thank you for extra time. Bless your people. Strengthen your people. Encourage your people. It is in Jesus' name. And every Christian said, amen.